This is my 29th year of serving as a minister in a local church, and by far, without question, no exception, this is the weirdest thing that I've ever experienced. And I would say that what I'm about to do is one of the weirdest things I've ever done, because I'm sitting in this room, this family auditorium, over at the campus. There's a couple people in here. There are a couple folks here, not many. I've been instructed to stare straight into this iPhone, not to look that way, not to look that way, and everything in me is saying, yes, but you have to make eye contact, but then the reality is there's no one to make eye contact with. So hopefully this goes well. We'll do our best. There have been many occasions throughout the 29 years that I have been a minister in a local church where at the beginning of a worship gathering or the middle of it or at the end of it, I have said something like this. We are privileged to be able to gather together in the name of Jesus Christ and worship him and encourage one another. It's almost like a recording within me that every now and then plays. But I never imagined that there would be a time in our country where we wouldn't be able to gather. I mean, just out-of-the-box, mind-boggling thought to consider that there would be a time, a season, when we couldn't gather as a church family. And yet here we are in the midst of the daunting, in the midst of the uncertain, and in the midst of spiritually significant times in our nation and in the world. It's really strange to be sitting here in this empty auditorium. And here's what makes it so strange. My mind sees you even though you're not here. Now, we're not in the room we normally meet in, meet in, you know that, but I still can see you even though you're not here. There's just been too many times where we've gathered together. So Randy and Tracy and Mariah Chance are over here, hopefully. Uh, in my eye, they're there. In my eye, Randy's got that silly Dallas cowboy hat on. I hope he's not wearing that at home. That just really, let's take a break from that. They're near Tim and Amy Meyer, who are over in this area as well. John and Lisa Schmidt are sitting in the back over there. And they are near the Jollies, Kelly and Lucas. And they're all near the Lures family. Holly Carlson is over in this section as well. She's on the way left. Megan Harrison is near her. Michael Mumphrey, our good friend and beloved part of our congregation is sitting right down in front here. I can see him when I just look straight ahead. Steve Eau Claire is in the back, in one of the back rows, right on the aisle. Tim Lures right now has his hands cupped, and he's waiting for the Lord be with you. It's coming, Tim, but not for a while. But when it comes, your job is to yell as loud as you can so everybody who's, who is tuning in can hear you. Chris Bertelli is over in this section, and he's leading his usher team. Oh, and Greg Roser just entered. He's late, virtually, like he is actually often, but we're glad he's joined us. I want you to know this. Greg texted me the other day. This was Friday, and he said to me, and this is a quote, I want you to know I'll be tuning in on Sunday morning wearing my boxer shorts. Now, I'm sure that ruins this whole thing for you as it does for me, but we'll do our best. Another cool thing, Steve and Don Liberti, Cody told me a few minutes ago, Steve and Don Liberti are in Germany, and they're tuning in, so we say, Auf Wiedersehen to the Libertis. 
the Harberts, uh, Dave and Nathan, were down at their house, which is a few miles from here, and during our worship time, they put in that they sent in that they were playing the worship songs along with Brandon, Manuel, and Jordan, which is really cool. We also know one of our longtime friends, a very dear person to Julie and I and to our kids, the first babysitter of our kids, Katie Albert. She prefers to be called Kitty. She is up in Seattle, and she is tuning in as well, so hope you're doing well, Katie. It's good to have you here with us. As you know, these days, medical and government leaders are obviously grappling with numerous issues as they are trying to resolve the health crisis we are facing. And if we're not in one of those roles, then our job is to do our best to comply with their instructions and pray that God would give them wisdom to make the best decisions possible in these uncertain times. But as followers of Jesus, as a Christian community, that's not our only job these days. For these are circumstances when followers of Jesus need to be carriers of faith, hope, love, and confidence because God is still reigning over this world and nothing is happening outside of his watchful care. He is actually in charge and in control of our lives, of our nation, and of the world. And maybe more than we ever have in our lifetimes, we are resting in the prayer of Matthew 6.10. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. For many of us, these are unique circumstances in our lifetimes. We have never experienced anything like this. But these are not unique circumstances in the history of this world. And trials like these are more than anything occasions for the people of God to exercise their faith and trust in God no matter what is happening, no matter how it resolves, no matter if it resolves. The Apostle Paul sets forth the way of Christ in uncertain times, how to navigate these uncertain times, a mindset perhaps to have a posture to be in as followers of Jesus in uncertain times. And he sets this forth when he makes this extraordinary statement in Philippians chapter 1, verses 20 through 21. And if you have the app uh, on your phone or whatever device, you can follow along with many of these scriptures and some of the quotes that I'll share in a moment. They're right on the app. He writes this in Philippians 1, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage, so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death, for to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. He continues in verse 27 of Philippians 1. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. See, this is our primary job in uncertain times, to trust in God and to live in a manner worthy of the gospel, no matter what happens and no matter how circumstances unfold. A few passages that compel us to live faithfully in these days. Psalm 8 and verse 10, those who know your name trust in you. For you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. David's reassuring words in Psalm 16, verses 5 through 11. Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night my heart instructs me. 
I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful ones see decay. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. A little phrase that brings some of this together for me these days is simply this. Jesus is king. Jesus is here. Wash your hands. And so every time we wash our hands for 20 seconds or whatever the number is, maybe we say out loud or maybe we pray uh, quietly, Jesus is king. Jesus is here. We don't know how many weeks we'll be meeting online, obviously, but here's what we're going to talk about while we have these online gatherings. The vaccines and the quarantine and the protocol is the work of doctors and government leaders, and obviously it is crucial work, and we all want this to end as soon as possible. The question that sort of captured me this week is, what is our lane as followers of Christ and as a church? And I would like to suggest followers of Christ have an additional set of issues beyond the practical stuff to consider in these strange days. Perhaps these issues are best captured by a set of questions, such as, what is God up to in the midst of this coronavirus? What is his spirit doing in us, in our communities, and in this world in these days? What's he saying to us? in these times of trouble? What is God inviting us to through this international crisis? And so I want to revisit a reading I quoted from last weekend. It's the same reading, but it is a different quote. It's C.S. Lewis, and it is in an essay he wrote in 1948 called On Living in an Atomic Age. He writes, What the wars and the weather and the atomic bomb have really done is to remind us forcibly of the sort of world we are living in and which, during the prosperous period before 1914, we were beginning to forget. And this reminder is, so far as it goes, a good thing. We have been waked from a pretty dream, and now we can begin to talk about realities. Those are really good words for us these days. During the prosperous period, we were beginning to forget. Prosperity, it seems to me, always seems to trigger amnesia. And we begin to forget the truly important things. I think the last line of Lewis's statement is worth writing down and praying over. We have been waked from a pretty dream, and now we can begin to talk about realities. Might God be pointing us then to the real realities behind the faux realities that become our priorities in prosperous times? And what I want to focus on in these times we have online together are the real realities. This is what I want us to think about for however long we do it. We do church this way. What are the values and the practices that have been stirred up through this worldwide health crisis that are really good and should carry forward post-coronavirus? When times are good and we're speeding along in life and everything is going how we want it to, the real realities of a genuinely good life get devoured by the faux realities. 
Time with family and friends, for example, gets devoured by busyness. Contentment, being satisfied with what we have, is routinely devoured by consumerism and the insatiable quest to buy another thing and have more. And so on we could go. And our scripture reading reading today emphasizes a real reality, often forgotten in times of prosperity and when times are good. So I want to read this to you. If you want to turn to it, it's Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. I believe the text of this scripture reading is online in the app. Uh, So you can just look to that and you can follow along uh, on that if you don't have a Bible. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of the Father. This is the word of the Lord. So today I want to talk about the church. And in particular, I want to talk about interdependence within the church. The way God intends for His people to do life together under His leadership and under His reign and love each other in practical ways and rely on each other. Our faith, in other words, is to be lived out in community with other people. So I want to give you three images today, and it so happens that these three images are also titles of three really good movies. It's a win-win. Think about the church for a little bit this morning. And if this begins to bore you, you can shut me off and go find one of these movies streaming online and watch it. So it's a win-win for everybody. First image is The Sandlot. 1993 movie about this diverse group of neighborhood kids. They were of different sizes, different shapes, different colors, skills, and backgrounds. They each lived in their own context and they faced different challenges, but they united around baseball. And in the summer, every single day, they converged at the neighborhood sandlot to play baseball together. So baseball pulled them out of their individual lives and into a community. Baseball held them together. They were formed in those times at the sandlot. And the strength of those hours at the sandlot helped them help each other through the various challenges of their individual lives. So the sandlot is where they learned how to laugh and love and play 
and lean on each other. And the church is the sandlot. Different people unite together and come together around a common reason known as Jesus Christ. And through love for each other and by learning to give his grace and forgiveness to each other, the church demonstrates the good way of Jesus and the church humbly and gently demonstrates how the world could be if God were permitted to be king. Oak Hills as a local church is a community of people who are learning how to sacrificially love God and love each other. And the quality of our life together and the quality of our relationships, if you will, streams the good way of Jesus to the world. And this is one of the reasons why the writers of the New Testament were so concerned about the health of the church. Because the church was to be a display of the gospel in this world. The church was to broadcast the gospel to the world through the quality of its life together. And so Oak Hills exists to alert the world to the reality of God. We exist to humbly and gently show the world the love and grace and goodness of God. So once again, we come back to this core principle we've talked about many times, but now seems a bit more crucial, and it is this. The Christian faith is communal. The Christian faith is lived out on the sandlot. It is with others who are different in every way. People who think different, vote different, look different, but share a love for God and a desire to seek first His kingdom. And yes, it's messy. It's broken. It's shallow. At times it's silly. And yes, hypocrisy abounds within the Christian church and hypocrisy abounds within Oak Hills Church. But the collision of individual differences around a shared devotion to Jesus Christ displays the goodness of God and His kingdom to a world in desperate need. And so Paul's instruction to the Philippian church, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, Paul says, then be like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. And onward he goes, encouraging community. His focus is toward community toward the sandlot. Be the church, he says. Live this out with one another. So community, connectedness, church, and faith are interwoven and interconnected in the Bible. And yet it is easy for the importance of these things to be forgotten or minimized in prosperous times, to use C.S. Lewis's phrase. Because there are so many other obligations and things to do. And yet here I am today, sitting in nearly an empty room, and we as Oak Hills Church and every other church around here is scattered across Sacramento, literally unable to meet together. And four months ago, imagine this, if someone would have said, you know, your church is not going to be able to meet together on March 22nd because of a pandemic, we would have chuckled, to put it mildly. Gathering as a faith community was important four months ago, but it sure seems more important today. So we remember the communal part of our faith. 
And we also remember as we think about this, that there are those within our own congregation for whom this kind of permanent separation is their norm every single week. They want to gather, but because of health or because of uh, age or whatever, they are unable to gather. So this just simply and hopefully alerts us to this idea that the church is a sandlot and we need each other. Second image and movie title, Stand By Me. A great 1986 movie about four young teenage boys who were good friends. They, too, had different stories, different challenges, but they had formed this bond of togetherness, and one summer their bond was severely tested, so they leaned on each other. They stood by each other, and they helped each other through the challenges. You know this as well as I do. In American culture, individualism is a prized value, maybe the most treasured of our values. We're trained from an early age to go it alone. Do what we want. Fend for ourselves. Make our own way. We learn self-reliance and self-sufficiency early in life. And sometimes, maybe often, this orientation around individualism ends up shaping and influencing how we think about faith and how we think about church. Until a coronavirus wakes us from a pretty dream, and now we can begin to talk about realities, to use Lewis's phrase. Like the reality of how we actually need each other. At the most basic level, it seems to me, this virus has alerted all of us to the reality that our nation will not soon overcome this virus unless each of us immediately recognizes our interdependence. What I do affects you in terms of this corona crisis. What you do affects me. So all of a sudden, out of nowhere almost, has come this greater recognition of something the Bible has stressed for a long time, and that is we need each other. We are interdependent. I was driving home yesterday, and there are some neighbors who attend our church, and they were sitting out in their driveway with uh, some friends of theirs. And there were four people in the driveway, and I rolled down the window as I drove by, and I was yelling at them, separate, get away from each other, you're too close. And the neighbor in the driveway, one of the guys who attends here, he held up a tape measure. He said, we're way ahead of you on this. Apparently they'd measured out where each should sit. Pretty good example of interdependence, relying on each other. What you do affects the rest of us, a very biblical concept. And this is a basic value now emerging all around us where we have to look out for each other, stand by each other, and help each other. So Paul's words in our scripture reading from Philippians 2 capture a real reality behind the faux reality of individualism. He writes, In humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you, to the interests of the others. Stand by me. Lean on each other. Interdependence instead of individualism. Many in our congregation, as Lorraine mentioned, have offered to help others in the church who need it. This is just basic church family stuff, loving each other. 
standing by each other, leaning on each other, pushing against the grain of individualism and self-reliance. I got an email earlier this week from a person in our congregation who was writing simply to make himself available to run errands, to get groceries, or to do any other practical help for those in our church who might need it. But wouldn't that be dangerous for this individual? Possibly. But he's chosen to put the needs of others ahead of his own. And this is how love grows legs by putting the interests of others ahead of our own. Paul's words again from our scripture reading, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. He humbled himself. He took the very nature of a servant. He was obedient even unto death, and he did it all for the sake of the others. Selfless love is a mark of the Christian and of the Christian community, valuing others above ourselves, serving others even when it puts us at risk is a mark of a Christian and of the Christian community. In the words of Jesus in John 15, laying down our lives for our friends. This kind of standing by and with each other is essential to our life together as a church because practical love and care puts our beliefs and our convictions into action. And this is one of those real realities C.S. Lewis referred to that must endure in a post-corona world. We demonstrate the reality of our love for God through our love for one another, serving one another, encouraging one another, helping one another, speaking the truth to one another, receiving the truth from one another. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his classic book, Life Together, writes, God has willed that we should seek and find his living word in the witness of a brother or a sister in the mouth of another. Therefore, the Christian needs another Christian who speaks God's word to them. He needs him again and again when he becomes uncertain and discouraged, for by himself he cannot help himself without belying the truth. And it strikes me that this is how we're supposed to live as Christians and as brothers and sisters in prosperous times and in virus times. So I come back to a vision of what we could do with all this. It should not be abnormal or atypical where people are saying, I'm available and I can help those who need help. This is what it means to be the church that is standing by each other whether there's prosperity or a virus. So back to this vision of what this could look like now and when this corona crisis is gone. I've mentioned this before. We utilize technology and the smart people in our church who could build a technological network so those in our church who have needs can make them known and those in our church with the means of meeting those needs can easily do so. Love gets legs. The need for a car for a few days while ours is being repaired, somebody has one. And those that need and the meeting of that need can get connected. We don't need Avis, we don't need Hertz, and we don't need the money going out the door to rent the car because we've got all these people and surely somebody has an extra car that someone can use for a few days. A young mom with a sick child needs someone to watch her other children so she can give special care to her young child for a few hours. That need goes out. Somebody says, I can be there in 10 minutes. The need that 
is spoken is met by someone who can meet it. An elderly person needs someone to pick up groceries or to do yard work or whatever. The need is, is articulated and someone is there to meet it. And again, we mentioned this earlier, but you can talk to Lorraine. If in these days you have a need, we will find someone to help meet that need. But going forward, this is an enduring value to stand by each other. And last image, third image, and great documentary, Won't You Be My Neighbor? 2018, uh, a documentary about Fred Rogers, Mr. Rogers, way ahead of his time because he extravagantly loved other people. And his love for others grew out of his Christian conviction. And so his faith led him to lead with love, not with the hammer of judgment. Paul describes Jesus as one who had the very nature of a servant. It's not something he did once in a while. Service was in his blood. It was who he was. He laid down his life willingly for others, and many of the others whom he laid his life down for never gave him the time of day. It's extraordinary to think about that. He laid down his life and sacrificed it for other people, and many of those he laid his life down for and sacrificed for never gave him the time of day. He saw those he encountered every day as his neighbor whom he was called to love. Who did Jesus ever encounter that was not his neighbor whom he sacrificially loved? Who did he ever meet that he shunned, dismissed, shook his head at, degraded, or otherwise belittled? See, Jesus' neighbor was the person in front of him at any given time. And that person was sacred to him, even though most ignored him or wrote him off and still do. See, one of the things we talk about often is this idea of living on mission. It's really not that complicated. A starting point, a simple starting point, is to sacrificially love our neighbor. And our neighbor is whomever is in front of us at any given time. Like some of you, my strategy upon getting home is to park the car in the driveway, get in the house, shut the garage door, bolt the door on the front door, then double bolt the door on the front door, and hunker down. And mind you, this strategy I employ is all a pre-corona strategy. Not long ago, we had a little sitting area out in our front yard. And the weirdest thing happened. Julie and I sat out there the first night this little sitting area was completed. And in the 22 years we've lived in our house, I don't think we've ever sat in the front yard. And on the very first night, we had three or four conversations with three or four different neighbors. In other words, we had more conversation in one night than we had had with our neighbors the previous three or four months. Some guy rode by on a bicycle and he was waving at us. I didn't even know what to do with that. I was taken back thinking, what's this guy want? He must want something. It all got me wondering about the real reality behind the faux reality of fences and garage doors and isolation. Maybe all of us have an innate craving and connection for relationship that no fence or garage door or virus can squelch. And maybe in the aftermath of social distancing, there will be a revival of relationship and connection sweeping through our church and sweeping across our town. So maybe now is a good time to think about 
and right now return to Jesus's way of loving our neighbors, meaning whomever is right in front of us. It's just a hunch and maybe I'm wrong. But rising above the silliness of hoarding toilet paper and stockpiling goods to protect ourselves from the gangs of Mad Max, there seems to be a surge of neighborly love. Lorraine mentioned this earlier. This desire to do exactly what Paul says in our scripture reading, not looking to our own interests, but to the interests of others. See, when there is a crisis of corona magnitude, when there's something as big as corona happening, it seems to force to the surface both the ingrained values that are there all the time. I'm going to grab my toilet paper and not worry if you get yours. That's in there all the time. It just takes corona to pull it out. But it also seems that these kinds of times push to the surface the values that really are values or the values that we know are really good things. The real realities, in other words, replace the faux realities. And one of those for Christ followers now and going forward, far beyond coronavirus, is to love others, whomever they may be, sacrificially as our neighbors, the way Jesus did. To be other-centered without regard for how the other responds. So if you would close your eyes, wherever you are, I'm going to lead us in prayer, and then we will sing together one more time. I simply want to invite you to think about this. What is God doing in your midst in these strange times? What's He doing in your family? What's He doing with the people that you are uh, with in these days? What's he doing in the depths of your own inner life? What's he stirring to the surface? Our gracious and good Heavenly Father, we are gathered here in this peculiar way because we believe that your word speaks truth and we want to receive it. And on this day and in this time where uncertainty is everywhere, we simply want to yet again express our confidence in you that no matter what happens all will be well because we are in you and we belong to you we trust you in these days and we cling to the hope we have in Jesus Christ now and forever we know that you are good we know that you are loving and we cling to the reality of who you are even in these uncertain days and we pray these things in Christ's name Amen